Good evening and welcome to episode 14 of The Political Mic. This is a special edition of The Political Mic because it's all dedicated to first-time voters. So I'm very excited to have the group I have with me this evening. Uh, we're going to go into what's what's in their thought process uh, as we are 19 days away from the general election. Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and start to introduce this very distinguished group of individuals right here. So first we have uh, Mackenzie Boyd. Uh, Mackenzie was born and raised in Wichita, Kansas. She's currently in her fall semester of her sophomore year at Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama. She is a public policy major with a minor in public relations. She serves in the student government as a Supreme Court justice, and she's the youngest to be appointed to the bench thus far. Her goal is to become a political commentator with a focus on providing clear, concise, and understandable content for a broad audience of viewers. Angela Rye is her inspiration, and one day she plans to make an impact twice as big as the one Angela Rye has already made. So there's no no figure I, could, I had to have Mackenzie Boyd on tonight, and she can go ahead and start to demonstrate her political commentary skills this evening. So Mackenzie, thanks for being a part of this episode of The Political Mic. Next, we have Nicholas Yenchi. Nicholas um, is from Ashburn, Virginia. He currently attends uh, Penn State University and he's majoring in immun immunology and infectious diseases with the hopes of later attending medical school. Um, as, certain, as far as his political opinions, uh, he would consider himself a moderate. Um, he doesn't consider himself a very political person, but I'm glad to get his insight tonight because he can provide insight as to those who are not so politically engaged and what they're thinking about. So Nicholas, thanks for being a part of this. And I'll also add Nick is my cousin uh, by blood. He is my aunt's son. So I'm glad to have him with us tonight. Sydney Stewart. Sydney is an 18 year old freshman at Oakland University in Alabama. She is an international studies major and currently works as a fellow with the organization 18 by dot vote in which she spearheads civic engagement efforts towards young people in her community. This summer, she participated in a six week long online high school program held by Running Start in which she ran a mock mayoral campaign and worked alongside her campaign team to make it to the primary and eventually the general election. She's passionate about voting rights, women's product, reproductive rights, immigrant rights and investing more in BIPOC communities. Her political affiliation would be progressive. She's a leftist and considers herself a womanist. So Sydney, glad that you can add to the diversity here tonight in political discourse and, and, and perspectives. Um, Annie Morgan, uh, Julianne, she also goes by Annie, uh, is a senior at the University of Maryland, College Park. Uh, she's majoring in government and politics and minoring in business. After undergrad, she plans on attending business school. She would like to pursue a career at the intersection of business, government, and politics. For two semesters uh, during the spring of 2019 and fall 2019, she was a research assistant at the Department uh, of Government and Politics at the University of Maryland. For, the, for most recent, her most recent project, she created a 2020 presidential election map for Fair, Fairfax County, Virginia, utilizing the software QGIS. Additionally, she current, she's currently an ambassador for the Department of Government and Politics at the University of Maryland. Um, as an ambassador, she proposes she proposed new ideas for get out the vote, faculty, um, and the development head, and the department head, I'm sorry. Uh, she also helps prospective and current students become more uh, assimilated into the get out the vote uh, uh, initiative. And this will be her first time voting in a presidential election. So she's excited also to see what happens on election night. 
and Annie, I'll also add, is also my cousin. My other aunt uh, is uh, her mother. So I'm glad to have Annie on this evening as well. And Joey Taylor, Joseph, Joseph, um, he actually subscribes to Popular Science and Popular Mechanics magazines. Uh, he spends hours reading these magazines. He has a love for passion and technology. Um, and it, this matured as he grew older. Uh, his fascination with computers with computers resulted in him discovering how to take computers apart and other electronic gadgets and put them back together. Joseph is a sophomore at Oakland University in Huntsville, Alabama, where he's majoring in biomedical sciences. And I'll also add that Joey is my little brother. And he expressed to me on numerous occasions that he has no political interests at all. So I'm, I'm excited to have him with us as well. When uh, Mr. Jordan Thompson joins, I'm gonna go ahead and introduce him, but I'm gonna go ahead and start the conversation off by asking you all as first time voters, uh, where do you stand? You know, we're 19 days away from November 3rd. Um, the stakes couldn't have been higher. And, and, you know, every year, every four years, I'm sorry, you hear that, you know, this election is none like in our lifetimes and the stakes are very high, but this year um, it couldn't have been more true. I wanna get your thoughts um, as to where you stand 19 days away and why it is that you stand in the position you currently stand. I'm gonna start off with Nick. Um, I, I really don't know who, who I'm gonna vote for to be honest, cause I don't really pay attention to politics like I said before, but um, I, I just, I really don't know. <laughs> so, so, being that you're not really politically engaged, what what are you looking for? Is there any particular um, are there any particular uh, topics or uh, views that more closely align with yours, and that you're looking for the for the, the both major uh, contenders for the presidency to take before you make your final decision? Um, I saw like there was um, I don't know if it's a policy, but like they were gonna. Um, eliminate student loan debt and stuff like that. So um, whichever side does that, probably the side I'll vote for. Mackenzie, you're I'm with you on that. I'm definitely yeah. with you on that. <laughs> Mackenzie, where do you stand 19 days away? Um, you know, they, there are huge stark uh, differences between the two major uh, presidential candidates this year. And one thing that really stands out uh, in terms of how this year differs from 2016, is that there are far fewer undecided voters. Um, uh, let me see. PBS, along with um, NPR Radio, has reported numerously um, on numerous occasions in recent days that in 2016 you had a lot of folks voting for, for instance, Jill Stein, uh, the Green Party candidate, or Gary Johnson, or putting in a write-in vote, or not voting at all. But in this situation, you have uh, over 17 million, I believe, was the number I heard, Americans who have already cast their vote. Um, so even though it seems like this is a much more rigorous process than just, you know, if this was just a regular year without the pandemic, it seems like more people are engaged. Uh, people are very anxious, it seems, much more so than they were four years ago. Where do you stand 19 days away? I am pumped. I'm for this election. I believe that on November 3rd or a little bit after, depending on how things go, that we are going to go into a brand new light. I feel like um, Joe Biden is going to win. He's going to take over. There's no way that I feel like he can't when we've constantly seen what we have in office for the past four years do nothing. Even now in 2020, we're in the middle of a 
pandemic and we've seen what he's done, which is nothing. So I am pumped. And I know uh, we get a lot of people saying, well, Joe Biden, he's not really, you know, a great person either. You know, you go back and you look at his videos when he was in the Senate, when, you know, he's in the Senate majority, you know, the stuff like that. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. This is like choosing between the lesser of two evils. But, you know, I feel as though with Joe, he's, he's not a change agent, but he is more so on the path to change. You know, he has my girl Kamala Harris as his VP pick. He promised us that. He promised us that, you know, um, before the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth, Gator, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, he told us that he was going to nominate a black and African-American female um, Supreme Court pick. You know, so I feel like we, we have these two people in our hands. There's only one progressive person on this party, you know? There's only one way that I feel like we should, we can go, honestly, from here. This, like, the kind of our, it, our lives depend on it, literally. <laughs> and and I, I appreciate, you know, you expressed what many people seem to be uh, feeling, which is they're not voting. I, neither of the two major contenders seem to be their ideal candidate. Um, and a lot of folks are discouraged about that. Does that cause you to be less willing to engage in the political process, uh, Sydney? Honestly, no. I think it just motivates me more personally um, to, you know, have these people say the things, but being able to, um, you know, look at their policies and read what's going on and what they are trying to get through, which is like progressive, um, more, you know, for everybody, I think that, uh, I don't know, it just makes me motivated to go out and vote for the person because I feel like if you don't vote, then you're just giving that vote <laughs> to Donald Trump, essentially, which is just, you shouldn't do that because Donald Trump doesn't have, isn't for everyone. And I feel like Joe Biden is for everybody, even though he is not my first pick, honestly, I was a Warren and Bernie fan. Joe Biden, um, he is the best option for me. And Joey, how do you feel about the assertion that a lot of people make, you know, a vote for not, not voting is a, essentially a vote for Trump. And there seems to be such a, uh, uh, a strong passion to beat Trump, which led to the nomination of Joe Biden in the first place um, as the most pragmatic candidate to put forward to beat him, a moderate, a centrist in his policies, uh, someone who can appeal to the middle and the right. Um, how do you feel about your prospects in terms of whether you will be supporting him or or Trump? Or why do you think people are so against uh, the current incumbent president? And where do you stand 19 days out? Well, when you say you don't vote um, as a vote for Trump, the reason why that is is because consistently – the younger the voter, the less likely they are to vote. So if your vote is trying to go to Joe Biden and you just expect someone else to make that choice for you, well, it's the same thing that happened four years ago. It's really just going to repeat. And um, the older you are to vote, the more likely you are to vote. So if, on average, older people prefer Trump more than they do Biden, then on average, it's just going to be more likely if you don't vote that Trump will win. If that's what you want, well, then you don't have to vote, really, because someone will make that vote for you. But if your vote is trying to go to Joe Biden, then you have to do it yourself 
or else the same thing is going to happen, happen four years ago. And you were asking where I stand um, in the election. Well, I'm not a very political person at all, <laughs> at all, but this year is something I think is more than just politics. It's more than um, if you're interested or if you're not. I think it's a matter of you don't really have a choice or you have to choose something or else somebody will choose for you. And um, I chose Joe, Boy Joe Biden. I will be voting for him this year. And that's, gonna, that's my pick for um, this 2020 election. Thanks for bringing that up, Joey. And you know, you raised an important point, which is that young people historically don't come out in large numbers. Uh, the New York Times reported um, that in 2016, fewer than half of eligible voters between the ages of 18 to 29 even participated in 2016. And so there's this anxiety, I think, in the back of everyone's mind in that, will this be another 2016 scenario when, you know, the polls are looking more favorable than, you know, than for the side of the Republicans and Trump? People kind of get complacent. Uh, other priorities take, you know, their place. And people say, well, be, be, being that we're in a pandemic, being that I missed the deadline or whatever the case may be, being that I have this appointment, being that I have to be in work, I have online class or whatever, whatever it is that's taking first priority, would that cause them to, you know, be complacent and not voting? Um, and I think that's a legitimate concern. But I want to go ahead and introduce, before we continue, I want to bounce to you, Andy, Jordan, Mr. Jordan Thompson. Well, I'm going to go ahead and give your introduction right now. Hey, how's everybody doing? Um, I'm Jordan Thompson. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a junior uh, public policy major at Oakwood University, and I'm excited to be a part of this conversation. I was going to introduce you, but you you, you did it better than I could. So. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Jordan, since, since you just jumped in, we're talking about, you know, where we stand 19 days away. Um, you know, this for all of you, this is your first time voting in a presidential election. Um, the stakes are very high. We're talking about different factors that could motivate or discourage folks from coming out to the polls. Um, as it relates to you, Jordan, what are you looking for um, in terms of, you know, how do you assess, you know, where you're going to put your support behind either Trump or Biden? Um, you know, is the fact that typically neither candidate seems to, for a lot of folks, seems to be the ideal candidate. You know, for young people, I think, Sydney, you raised the point, Bernie Sanders was the preferred choice. Um, and Nick, Nick mentioned, you know, the, the desire to have student loan forgiveness, uh, student loan debt forgiveness. And, um, you know, those are hugely popular. That's a hugely popular popular policy among young people. Uh, do any of the, the does the fact that you have a moderate centrist running against Donald Trump, who um, is a hardline right right wing Republican um, in, in many instances, do you think that are you discouraged or encouraged to motivate to vote 19 days away? And if you can also explain how you assess where you're making your decision and how. Yeah, so for me, I definitely understand the aspect that a lot of people are discouraged um, this year. I think that this year has been a trying time and a lot of people feel hopeless. And I think that, you know, a lot of people have come to the conclusion that, you know, either candidate won't they won't get much for their vote. So they don't see the, you know, the value in voting. And I would like to, you know, really go against that and not not necessarily the sentiment. But I think that it's important that, you know, we stay politically active because, 
you know, I'm big on, you know, demanding something for my vote. So, you know, when I when I vote, you know, I expect something in return. So this, you know, this upcoming election, I plan on voting for Joe Biden, but I'm going to hold Joe Biden accountable, you know, for, you know, for that vote. And I expect him to work in my favor. And, you know, a big part of that is having a political agenda, you know, having a list of demands that you expect, you know, from a candidate and whether that be, you know, some of the things that you expected from Bernie Sanders or some things that, you know, Bernie Sanders wasn't willing to do. But, you know, expect Joe Biden has to, you know, pretty much earn my vote. You know, no vote is given and I definitely vote my interest. So I think it's important that, you know, we kind of demand something for our vote and that we have a political agenda. Uh, let me ask, do you think that this far Biden has done pretty much, you know, what someone who, you know, you didn't put your support behind initially, but he's kind of made himself, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but hasn't he kind of made himself uh, appear to be taking the positions um, that you would normally want a candidate to take more so than the, uh, than his opponent, uh, President Trump. Um, you know, I think he also recently had admitted that he would like some kind of form of student loan forgiveness, whether it be uh, for his community colleges uh, or for the first couple of years of your education. I think Camilla Harris also came out in recent weeks to say that she's in, in favor of, which was weird because you never see a vice presidential candidate coming out making policy promises. But you know, that she was for HBCU uh, funding from the federal government. Have those policy positions uh, alleviated your concerns uh, to know that, you know, your 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 concerns, you know, as folks who are uh, in the generation that was born witnessing two wars, Afghanistan, Iraq, you've seen the United States go into debt in 2008, the housing, bur the bubble burst, uh, We've seen so much in this lifetime, and now a pandemic, the likes of which this country hasn't experienced since 1918. Um, have these policy positions taken by the Democratic uh, standard bearers uh, alleviated your concerns? Annie. Um, so just to reiterate, the question is like, have the policies that the Democrats taken been good enough for me, basically? Um, I think so. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I have not been looking into every single policy that the Democratic Party has been putting out. But so far, I mean, I think I've, I'm pretty satisfied by like, especially the COVID reaction. I feel like there needs to be a streamlined process for COVID from the top down that I don't really see that, you know, we're getting right now. Um, I also feel like one of the huge, policies that's going to affect me is healthcare. You know, under the Affordable Care Act, I'm able to stay on my parents' healthcare until I'm 26. But if it changes, which it's intending to change with, you know, the Supreme Court nomination and everything, that's going to be taken away from me. Um, and I, I'm going to need to find a job or something in order to get my healthcare and everything. So in terms of those policies, I feel like it's been um, pretty aligned with my interests so far. And, and I'm glad you raised that point, because I want to go around um, and get each of your takes as to what's the make or break issue for you in this election. Um, Sydney? Um, ooh, that's kind of hard because, you know, I care about everything. But probably women, like reproductive rights, you know, what the Roe v. Wade outcome is going to be because 
um, people in like Planned Parenthood, they have a weird relationship and people think that it's under like federally funded and it isn't. But just if we define Planned Parenthood, then I know that low income areas, especially black and brown communities, are gonna be affected the most because it is low health care, like low costing health care for people. So I think healthcare and just those two um of Roe v. Wade and abortion is really important to me and being able to protect my right to control my body, which is weird to even have to fight about, I think is just should be considered and is probably a make it situation. Yeah, for me, I think that, you know, the issue of, you know, a lot of people call it the issue of race, but I call it, you know, the issue of racism is one of the topics that I really haven't seen, you know, enough time spent with, whether it's in the debates or in their um, agendas. I think that, you know, mass incarceration um, and systematic racism is, you know, obviously on the top of my list as a black man in America. And I would like to see some type of systemic change or policy made to kind of address those factors. Um, you know, definitely this year, you know, seeing the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, you know, holding the police officers accountable when, you know, unnecessary uh, deaths occur and, you know, excessive force is used. Um, I definitely think that those are at the top of my list in terms of, you know, what what is what is the candidate going to do for black America? That's definitely at the top of my list. Mackenzie. Oh. Like to wait. Yeah, I would like to pick that off of Jordan. I would say that my make or break issue would definitely be uh the stance on racial and social injustice. Period. At the end of the day, where do you stand? We have seen a candidate take a stance. We have seen the candidate who has not taken a stance. You know, we've asked them to condemn supremacist white supremacy. You know, the good boys. We've asked. And it has not happened. We've seen a, another candidate take a stance in a sense. It may not be the stance as that we want at the moment. And I feel like if we hold them, if like Jordan said in the beginning, if we hold him accountable and, you know, we um hold him to what, you know, like you said, we, a vote is not given, it is earned. So we hold him accountable to the, what we want in our community, we want to see happen. And like I said, that make or break issue is definitely the stance on racial and social justice. Joey? I agree with Mackenzie on the racial injustice aspect because I think that's a very important quality for the leader of a country. But I think something else that's also very needed as well is over these past four years, I forgot what it's like to have a president that's not in the news all the time for some type of scandal. And it's kind of desensitizing over time. You forget like it's not supposed to be that way or you hear a new thing about Donald Trump doing something else all the time, it's, you forget after a while, because like some presidents have like one major scandal, but Donald Trump has had so many scandals that he doesn't really have one main one. It's so many to choose from. And it just doesn't look good to have a leader of a president, not even be a role model as a citizen. So I think that's a very big issue that I think needs to um, be dealt with. Um, like I said before, probably like the thing that affects me the most right now would be the student debt thing because I don't want to pay for college when I'm like 40 years old, paying like 100 grand. I don't want to do that. But like another major issue, like um, gun control, 
I, I can see like the, the views from both sides where it's like people want to have guns to protect themselves and p- people like want guns gone to get um, criminals like away from guns and everything like that. But um, personally, like I'm in the middle about that because I don't I don't know how you'd solve that problem because like criminals are going to get guns either way. They're going to find a way. And um, so probably those two are my make it, break it. Thank you all. Because each of you gave really good reasons as to why those were your important issues, you know, in this election. And it's a, it's important to have an issue, I believe. Um, but I want to transition being that the Supreme Court is in a lot of folks' minds. And I think, Sydney, you you alluded to it a little bit. Um, this The current nominee, uh, Judge Amy Kobe, Coney Barrett, uh, appointed by President Trump, is raising a lot of headways because uh, in the hearing, she's claiming that it would be uh, a violation of judicial precedent, um, and it would also cause the, the the public to view the Supreme Court not as a um, arbiter that's that's neutral and detached from the political process, um, but one that is a super legislator, as they would call, um, if she were to engage in the questions posed mostly by Democratic senators who have been asking her questions and in terms of her stance on uh, cases like Roe v. Wade, uh, a huge landmark case in the United States, 1973, that uh, basically said that a woman has a, a, a fundamental right to, to have an abortion, basically. Um, but there are other cases on the table uh, that if she were to be confirmed and if she does take a position that seems to be in alignment with her past writings, her past positions, um, and she overturns the cases with a six to three conservative majority, this would have huge implications for uh, each of you um, in the United States. And so, you know, what comes to mind is also, you know, in terms of what kind of issues would be on the table, voting rights, uh, that would be on the table. A huge case I think that a lot of people don't give enough attention to um, is the Shelby versus Holder case in 2013, which removed Section 5 from the Voting Rights Act. Without that, states are free to make any kinds of laws and any kinds of uh, put any kinds of barriers in place that they see fit uh, without having to check in with the attorney general's office. Now, before Section 5, states that had a history of discrimination had to check with the attorney general to ensure that they were not discriminating against or enacting a policy that had a discriminatory effect. You know, so this was something that uh, I think would have it has had major implications. We've seen the long voter lines. We've seen all kinds of things that have caused people to be discouraged to vote. 27,000 people in Wisconsin, 27,000 votes, I'm sorry, separated Clinton and Trump. And that was the result of voter ID laws, uh, all kinds of tactics to, to discourage the vote. Um, so I want to get your thoughts, each of you, on you know this whole process, the nominating process. Uh, do you think it was fair uh, for this nominee to have a place in the Supreme Court? Um, being that, you know, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, had said in 2016, in February when Justice Scalia died, that a sitting president in an election year does not have the right to put before the American people another Supreme Court justice because it should be left for the people to decide, being that it's an election year. Uh, But that seems to be a complete 180. The only point is that he's putting a little asterisk there saying, hey, well, you know, things change if you have a president and a Senate of the same party. Has that gotten you to feel as if, you know, the president should continue to have the right to 
put forward a nominee in election year? Or do you believe that, you know, the Republicans should stick to the position they held four years ago? Um, Mackenzie? Can everybody hear me? Can you hear me now? Is it is it still choppy? You sound great. Is it still choppy? Okay. So um, I wish this wasn't happening right now, um, you know, especially considering who has the upper hand. It really sucks and it is shady what the Republicans are doing. Um, denying President Obama, you know, that appointment back in 2016, but then, you know, doing a 180 and allowing, you know, Trump to do the same thing now. Um, but honestly, um, let's not act like the Democrats wouldn't do the same thing if they had the upper hand. We know they would. It is very unfortunate, but, you know, now we have to figure out how to fix it from here. You know, what? where are we going to go? What, what are we going to do? What is what are we going to do now that this has happened? Because there's no stopping it now. Now we just have to figure out what our response is going to be. That's an interesting point you raised. You know, if, if you know, tables were turned, would the Democrats be engaged in the same kind of political uh, games uh, when it comes out to the Supreme Court? Um, Jordan? Yeah, I think Mackenzie hit the nail right on the head. Um, I mean, obviously, it's the exact same situation, just different years and different parties. And, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, the hypocrisy and the inconsistency is so obvious. But, of course, political gain is obviously, you know, the number one priority of both parties. So, I mean, honestly, I can't be mad at the, you know, the the Republican Party for, you know, pushing this nominee through because at the end of the day, it's what's best for them um, politically. So, I mean, I, I honestly, I can't be mad at it. It's just not, you know, the, the tables are just on the other side this time. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm glad you both raised these points because, you know, when I'm looking at the, the nomination process, I'm thinking back to 2000. Uh, with the Bush versus Gore decision. And to me, that was a huge indicator that we were in an era where the court is politicized, despite all of the legal jargon about us being a, you know, the Supreme Court and federal courts uh, being uh, a neutral arbiter and detached from the political process. The fact that you had a court issue an injunction basically on the state of Florida to say, do not continue your recount, I thought that that wasn't it couldn't have been more clear that they were engaged in the political process. Um, Annie, do you think that the court has become politicized? Um, and I also want to hear your thoughts on this whole nominating process. Well, yes, the courts are certainly politicized. Um, I agree with you know what Jordan said. I think if the tables were turned, I even said it earlier, it would be the exact same thing because Obama did try to do the exact same thing. Only thing that he, he was blocked. Um, you know, one of the, one of the biggest reasons I think the courts are politicized right now, um, is because of the uncertainty going into this election. We don't know if we're going to get a result. And if we don't get a result, um, the courts might decide the election. That's, that's the talk that's in the air right now. So I feel like the reason people are focusing so much on this nomination right now is because we're trying to figure out, like, is this person going to decide? you know, the fate of who becomes the yeah, next president. Yeah, I wanted president. to segue into so. there, but could you elaborate on what you mean by Obama doing the same thing? I, I was curious as to what you meant in terms of, do you think he's he did the same thing in trying to uh, put forward a Supreme Court justice um, that would, I guess, issue policies or make, make decisions 
uh, in accordance with his policy positions? Or what do you mean by that? Um, I think, well, when I said he'd do the same thing, I mean, he would also try to put forth, he tried to put forth a Supreme Court justice, except he was blocked. And I do think that they would be in alignment with his policies, because that's what each party wants to do. That's what he tried to do. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to do it because it was blocked. But um, yeah, I, I think like if the part, like if the shoe were, you know, on either foot, um, each party would do the take the same actions. And that's what's happening with the Republicans right now. That's why they're trying to approve Amy Comey Barrett. Joey, your thoughts on the nomination process? And, um, you know, any, I think, thank you for raising that point. Before you go, Joey, you know, the, the reason why this seems be, um, the reason why this seems to be a stressful topic for both sides is because of the implications it could have for the upcoming election, you know? Um, I don't think a, nomina a nomination process has been this fast tracked in the matter of 19 days to go um, to an election. That being said, I mentioned 2000 earlier, the, the Bush v. Gore case. There's a lot of fear, especially for Democrats, that this would result in a Justice Amy Coney Barrett siding with five other conservative justices uh, to hand deliver Trump a second term if the litigation um, of the election that seems to be that a lot of people are saying are inev is inev inevitable would result to the Supreme Court. Um, Joey, what are your thoughts on that? And do you think this process is fair? And is this influencing how you're making your decision when you're going to vote uh, this election? Well, both parties have, uh, have their agenda of winning the Senate. And that's really what is going on right now. The Republicans were winning and they won basically now with this um, fact that this judge is going to be put in place. So the only chance we have if you're for the Democratic Party is to elect Joe Biden because you'll also have another four more years of the Republican Party again reelected. So it depends. It's two views. If you're a Republican, Things are going really well for you right now, basically. But if you're a Democrat, then your voice is going to be really um, drowned out, basically. And it's not going to matter as much if you don't make yourself heard this election. This is really going to be your last time to be heard for a minute unless you do something now. That's the reason why um, this is probably the most annoying election, but in a good way. And when I say that, I mean... You can't even go on Instagram without Instagram telling you, did you register to vote? You should go vote now. I go on YouTube. I get ads telling me, click here to register in your state. Um, everywhere, even Google. I was doing homework the other day, and Google was telling me I need to go vote. And it's annoying, but I think it's necessary because everywhere is trying to make sure that this election is as um, heard as more than any other election probably because this has the, the most stakes I had for right now. And right now it's the easiest to vote possibly because you could vote by mail, you could vote online, you could vote in person. There's so many different ways. There's no excuse anymore really to not go and vote. So it is annoying. I'm not gonna lie, but I definitely think it's, it's necessary. And um, I hope everyone that is able to vote 
votes so that the election is a fair count this time. And thank you for bringing up, you know, the importance of elections in the Senate, because um, one major key that people are saying that are in the Democrats back pocket is that if in Arizona, you've got a gentleman who's an astronaut, the wife of a, a, of a gun violence survivor um, and also a congresswoman, Mark Kelly, who is running against the incumbent senator, Martha McSally, a Republican. And if the Democrats win with Mark, with Mark Kelly in the Senate, uh, according to Arizona law, he could be sworn in before January 20th of 2021. And the hopes are that he can come into the Senate um, and stop or help slow down or do something to, to, to prevent the inevitable outcome, it seems, of uh, a Justice Amy, Amy Coney Barrett. Nick, what are your thoughts in, in terms of the Supreme Court nomination process? And has it had any impact on how you're going to decide uh, your vote this election? Well, um, this is my first time hearing about the um, how Obama was denied his uh, nomination of the Supreme Court justice he was going to put in. But yeah, like what the Republicans are doing, I don't think is very um, f like fair in a way because you can't just switch your your stance like that to just um, get your political views through the um, I guess just out to people. But um, I don't think it's really going to affect how I vote because I still don't know who I'm going to vote for. I'm very, I, have, I really have to do my homework. I don't really know what's going on in the political world. Um, I just know uh, Trump really hasn't done anything since he's been president and he hasn't really handled this pandemic very well. And I'm probably going to be looking for change with Joe Biden this year. Thank you for bringing that up because this seems to be a change election. And, you know, every election has its different uh, feel. Um, in 2016, it seemed as if it did not seem to me, at least, that you had two fresh uh, candidates running. You, it felt like there was a third Obama term that was, you know, that was on the ballot uh, versus Trump. And, you know, usually, you know, in political history, after two terms of being in power for one party in the White House, the other party takes power. You know, we saw two terms of Ronald Reagan and it resulted in George H.W. Bush in 1988, but that's really an anomaly, it seems, um, in political history. But I think, thank you for bringing that out because the pandemic is the, this really, I think, is going to be known as the pandemic election, the COVID-19 election. Um, and I want to throw this question out. Anyone can jump in. You know, how has COVID-19 influenced your decision-making process? Um, and what are you looking for? I think, Annie, you mentioned, no, yeah, Annie, you mentioned, you know, you're looking for a nationalized approach. Uh, but specifically, you know, what what kind of measures do you think uh, either candidates need to take in terms of their policy positions as it relates to handling this pandemic? Um, anyone can jump in. Well, um, it's, this, this pandemic has really been embarrassing for the U.S., when, especially when we compare ourselves to other countries, because a lot of countries, like the U.S. is not the only country that's been dealing with coronavirus, but it's hard to, it's hard to prevent people from catching a disease when the president himself was basically downplaying and denying it for months. 
and it was kind of ironic that in the end, before the election even happens, he ended up catching the same disease he was downplaying. And it's embarrassing when you see all these other countries, they, they had it like Italy had it very horribly at a certain point in time, but now Italy's not nearly as bad off as the U.S. is. And the U.S. is now leading in cases of coronavirus. And it's just, it's, it's really, it's not a good look especially because the U.S. didn't need to go through all of this. Like, even if we look at China right now, China does not nearly have any anywhere near as much coronavirus cases as the U.S. does now, and that's where coronavirus originated from. So it's just hard to vote for or endorse someone that doesn't have the best interests of the public at heart. Thank you for bringing that up, Joy. And... Oh, Mackenzie, go ahead. Yeah, um, I just would like to piggyback off of he said. It's really not necessarily about, you know, right versus left or like Republican versus Democrat. It's about right or wrong. Like, are you doing what's best for the American people, for the country that you are serving? That's the bottom line, especially regarding COVID. Yeah, you know, that's real because you know, we're over, we have over 217,000 deaths so far because of COVID-19, uh, over 8 million. Deaths. And, um, you know, as Joey mentioned, you know, the United States is often looked at as an example. Um, when it comes down to cutting edge science, when it comes down to technology, when it comes down to, uh, you know, everything. And so for us to have this kind of piecemeal approach, I was looking at the, the, the gubernatorial debate uh, North Carolina, my former uh, state, my home state, um, last night, and it was between the incumbent governor, um, Roy Cooper, versus the challenger, uh, Dan Forrest. Dan Forrest, this past uh, spring, actually uh, went ahead and sued the governor because, in, according to him, his uh, curfew restrictions and all of the other measures that restricted the freedoms of the residents of North Carolina were a violation of their First Amendment right to assembly. And so he made this position. Of course, he was running for governor at the time still. So this was, I believe, a political stunt. And um, last night in the debate, he was saying, you know, we need to open up the schools. We need to go ahead and do open up because look at Georgia. Now, Georgia, mind you, <laughs> is one of the worst states in the country as it come down to COVID-19 deaths. I just moved to Georgia. Um, and um, you know, I have seen firsthand the, the, the state fair just ended last week. And so there are a lot of people operating in a business as usual mindset. And I think that's caused what we've seen in the uptick in, in terms of COVID cases in states like Georgia. But according to him, we should look to Georgia in this example because they were able to open up uh, without sacrificing business, without sacrificing small businesses, without sacrificing their economy. Um, you know, is the economy a huge issue for you guys. Um, and those, you know, you're viewing the economy in terms of, you know, what you can experience right now, which is student loan debt. But, you know, in the long run, you know, you, you, you should want a country that is economically stable. Um, but we're experiencing this recession in large part because of the amount of businesses that have had to close due to the uh, COVID-19 um, shutdown. Uh, Sydney, do you think that, you know, there are measures that we, we need to continue to enact measures that, yes, would sacrifice some freedoms for the, for the temporary 
for, for temporarily, but in the long term would have uh, positive results in terms of re reduced rates of COVID deaths. I know Dr. Fauci is calling for families this Thanksgiving to kind of postpone their uh, th gathering plans um, or cancel their plans due to concerns that you know we can see in this new cooler environment more a, a second wave. Um, other countries are experiencing a second wave. Do you think that the economy uh, being sacrificed, as many Republicans are saying it, it is, um, is a huge uh, factor to consider when you're looking at you know measures calling for the shutdown, a national shutdown, um, and closing down businesses, canceling events, and things of that nature? Um, honestly, I'm going to bring Frank with you. I could care less about the economy currently if people are dying. <laughs> And I'm um, coming from Tennessee and being, my governor being Republican. And Nashville has a lot of small businesses. Um, and I can understand the concern about people, you know, losing money and um, people who rely on their small businesses to make a living in order to like survive. And I think that if the economy wouldn't be so much of a talk, if we kind of had a better stimulus check, I think the government kind of um, set us up for failure at that part for not providing correctly for the people of America to be able to, um, you know, survive uh, long enough with the kind of money that we um, were receiving to be able to uh, get through this pandemic. But I feel like New Zealand, I think, is one of those like role models of people getting over COVID and their economy kind of being okay. And I feel like we could look to them, but we probably won't. But yeah, I'm just like, I think sacrificing people's lives for the economy is how I see it. And I just don't think that the economy is really a priority when there are people dying and trying to, you know, provide for themselves when people who are supposed to be representing us aren't representing us correctly and giving us the resources that we need to, like, provide for our families and just provide for our well-being. Yeah, and, and you know, I just want to clarify because we're not expecting any president or any potential, uh, sorry, president 2021 to take office on the 20th of January and all of a sudden the COVID disappears. But what we are seeing is that there's a hugely different approach by both candidates and their campaigns to this to this virus. Case in point, today, uh, Trump was holding a, a huge rally um, in North Carolina. And I saw a lot of people walking around. Yes, some had masks, but for the most part, a sizable amount of people did not wear masks. And it looked as if it was a regular time. It, it didn't look like this was a, a age of pan an era of pandemic. Um, I want to throw the question out to anyone else you know who wants to weigh in. Um, on your thoughts and how COVID-19 is influencing your decision-making process. Yeah, I'll go. So for me, um, I think that one, in terms of the economy, I definitely understand both sides and I definitely, you know, I kind of conflict and I kind of go back and forth on how I feel about it because, you know, from a health standpoint, you know, it's better to stay at home, it's better to shut down and it's better to, you know, play it safe. But at the same time, from an economic standpoint, you know, the country really can't afford to. Um, we're already in a deficit. You know, we already uh, 
did one stimulus package and we really can't afford to do another one. But, you know, people still have to, you know, make rent. People still have to, you know, feed their families. So I definitely understand both sides. I think the problem where I, I disconnect from the Republican Party is kind of like, you know, the blat the blatant negligence. You know what I mean? In terms of like, you know, holding large rallies and, you know, encouraging people not to wear their mask and not to social distance. I think that, you know, that's completely irresponsible. And I think that there's no benefit from you know not wearing wearing a mask and socially distancing but i do understand the aspect of you know people with small businesses need to you know be able to operate those businesses people need to be able to go to work people need to you know be able to function in society so i definitely understand both sides but the blatant negligence is where you know i definitely disconnect from you know the republican party let me throw this out you know who gives you the most con i mean who, who are you more confident um in their ability to handle this pandemic. Um, Annie? Well, I mean, as of right now, given like the reasons everyone had mentioned before, I think Joe Biden, I have more confidence in his ability to handle the pandemic. Um, as far as how much, as far as the extent to which COVID has affected my decision-making process, um, one like smaller way that I feel like it's affected it is um, my decision to vote in person. I don't want to vote by mail because there has been just so many issues with it. Um, and I want my vote to be counted for sure. Um, I know in Virginia where I am now, almost every single polling place, the lines are hours long. But I know where we're waiting like here in Virginia, people are waiting those hours. And I intend on waiting hours and hours to vote because I want my vote to count. So that's how COVID has affected my decision-making process. We're gonna tr we're gonna transition to mail-in ballots in a second, but I wanted to get any anyone else's thoughts on how COVID-19's influenced um, your decision-making process, but particularly in who do you have more confidence in uh, to handle this pandemic, um, Nick? Um, personally, I don't have confidence in either of them, really, because I, I haven't seen what Biden can do, obviously, but it always it, like a change is always better than the same thing that's been happening for the past, like a couple months of the pandemic, which is just like um, Jordan said, like blatant negligence. We're just kind of they're trying to kind of like pretending it doesn't exist and it's not a big deal. And we and I can see that like around me. Like I live in an apartment complex and kids are out partying in these giant groups every night. And I can know most of them are voting for Trump. Most of them are very um, Republican. But um, um, I guess uh, how it's affected, like my, how I'm gonna vote, probably just gonna vote for Biden. Even though like I have the same amount of confidence as him right now as I do in Trump, because I just don't know what he's introducing like policy-wise. That's an interesting point. You know, they, they, I, I think you're sharing some insight into the minds of people who are undecided in the middle. You know, they they are holding on to Trump, but at the same time, they're looking at Biden and they're saying, well, being that we're in this this era where, you know, there's a huge national crisis. Um, you know, Nick, you had pointed out something better than what we're doing right now seems to be the better option. Um, and that may, you know, cause someone who would on a normal year vote for Trump solidly to vote for Biden, you know, but Anna, you raised the issue of mail-in ballots. I want to, you know, I want to throw the question out before we transition to that. It, can anyone else weigh in on 
you know, how or whether which of the two candidates, I'm sorry, which of the two candidates you have more confidence in to handle the pandemic? Me? No, no, no. Uh, Sydney, you go ahead. Um, I would honestly say that I kind of have more confidence in like the Democratic um, people will like Joe Biden handling the pandemic. I think you can really see a difference between the blue states versus the red states on how they've dealt with um, and their governors have dealt with the pandemic and um, see the difference that I think red states kind of don't really handle it as well as blue states. Like in New York, I think the governor there, he handled it really well. New York was like crazy. And then you can go down south and it's not really the same result. So, yeah. So, you know, Annie, you raised the issue of mail-in ballot voting, and there's a lot of people who are uh, skeptical as to whether, you know, you, you've expressed your views on it, uh, whether their vote would be counted, you know. After I go through the process of requesting a mail-in ballot, filling it out, sending it back in, can I be confident 100% that this ballot that I'm filling out will be counted? And I had the same concern when it was a normal year in 2016. You know, that was, the, that was my first time voting in a presidential election. I was in college. And I sent my ballot out, but at the back of my mind was always the, you know, what if, what if this wasn't counted? I want to get your thoughts on to whether or not you have these same concerns um, and how those concerns are playing into your decision, whether to vote in person or by mail. Anyone can jump in. Well, um, the U.S. Army has been voting by mail for a very long time. So I think if um, voting by mail have worked for them perfectly for several years. I think it should work for the general public just fine as well. And I think that when it comes, this is a very interesting year. This is something that we, we didn't have um, years ago because we have so many different options. We don't, we're not forced to only vote by mail. We have different, you can pick how you want to vote. So even if you are still uncomfortable with voting by mail. You can vote in person. I think in some states you can even vote online. I'm not sure about that one, but I think you can also vote online as well. So I think there's too many choices really to pick from where you just don't like one option, you just don't do it at all. And even if, um, even if you feel as if your voice is not heard, you still have to do something because especially as if you're a supporter of the Democratic Party, it's a lot easier for your voice to be unheard than if you're a Republican right now at this time in history. Um, I want to jump in, re in respond to that. Um, so I agree that, I definitely agree that like the military has used voting by mail in the past, but things are different now because there has been widespread voter suppression um, going on. Um, the sorting machines have been taken out, like, what is it, months ago. Um, mail is piled high and a lot, like if you look into it, like I look at the news every single day, so many of the mail-in ballots are being returned to people, particularly marginalized groups of people. Hence why the lines in, you know, less fortunate communities are so long. Um, the machines are down and everything. So that just to like reiterate my point as to why I think voting in person is so important. 
has to do with the widespread voter suppression. If it were not for that, I would certainly vote by mail because of the pandemic. So you made me think, Annie, of you know the situation that happened in 1876. And I think that was the precursor to Bush versus Gore because you had a situation where the election was hotly contested and the winner ended up being someone who did not win the popular vote. We saw the same scenario play out in 2016. Uh, the candidates were Rutherford B. Hayes versus Samuel Tilden. Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes ended up winning as a result of the Compromise of 1877, which was an unwritten deal that the congressman entered into to ensure that Reconstruction era policies were a little eased back in the South. Um, and in that time, you did have voter suppression. You had folks who were suppressing the vote for African-Americans because think about it, the African-American vote was relatively very new. Um, and this is around the same era where you saw national terrorist groups such as the Ku Klux Klan and other groups try to discourage by violence and terrorism, um, the African-American vote. Um, so this is something we've seen throughout history, you know, um, and it's interesting that even after, you know, the, 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 the turn of the century when it became 1900 and, you know, now we're in the 21st century, uh, it seems we're, we're dealing with the same issues, but it's just in a more complicated scale, it seems, you know, whereas voter suppression was more blatant and brut brutish, now, voter suppression is a little bit more sophisticated, you know, and that, you know, Annie, you raised the issue, the, the, the fact that, you know, certain mail, mail-in ballots can't, can't be, can be discarded or cannot be counted or some kind of technical rule can cause the, the Board of Elections to say, well, this doesn't qualify as a vote. And, you know, there, with that coupled with the amount of conspiracy theories that are floating around the social media, social media, I think that's causing a lot of people to lose faith as well. Um, Trump, even in the first president, well, the only, what seems to be the only presidential debate, um, had said that there were people who had threw out his, you know, ballots with his name on it. Now, when he said that before, I think he was in the Rose Garden in the White House. Uh, can't remember the exact location, but a reporter had checked him and said, "Well, they did not verify who the candidate on the ballot was. They did find ballots cast, but they did not say they didn't determine that it was your name on the ballot." Um, you know, the fact that he can say that and, and continue to reiterate that narrative would cause, I believe, people who are in very much support of him to say, well, for every vote that's going to be discounted, I'm going to vote and I'm going to vote in person. Like Annie said, I'm going to vote hard. I want to make sure my vote is counted. I want to get your thoughts on whether, you know, how this this whole dynamic plays out in your decision making process um, as, a, as it pertains to whether you're going to vote in person uh, or by mail. Yeah, so for me, um, especially this year with all of the problems with the Postal Service, um, I'm just going to play it safe and, you know, vote in person. Um, right now, I, I attend Oakwood University, and our campus has, happens to be um, a voting site. And our poll is one of the biggest polls, like, within Alabama. So we expect the lines to be really long. And, um, you know, that's one sacrifice that, you know, students are going to have to be willing to make. Um, I'm currently in student government and we're trying to get that day, you know, free of classes so that students, are, you know, have the ability to go vote and, you know, wait in those lines without worrying about missing class. But I think that, you know, between, you know, voter suppression and the problems with the Postal Service being efficient this year, I definitely would, you know, prefer to play it safe and vote in person. That's a good point, because, you know, the Postmaster General was testifying before Congress. It's, it's hard to keep up with all the news, you know. 
that was in the year 2020. But, you know, I think last month or the month before that, it was, you know, recently he was testifying before Congress because they were trying to institute, institute issue a new law that would have made it uh, more difficult, I believe, for mail-in ballots votes to be cast. Um, and there were a lot of people who were saying, well, being that there seems to be so much noise around the situation, maybe I should vote in person or not vote at all. Has that, has that thought ever crossed your mind, uh, Mackenzie? I um, agree with Jordan um, and Annie as well. I am going to the polls. I want to be safe. Um, aside of making sure that I want my voice to be heard, this is my first time voting. I want the full experience. I want to go in. I want to check the box. I want to do it all. I plan to keep my keep myself safe, you know, wearing my mask and protecting myself. But I I definitely agree with. I want to go ahead and go full old school, and I want I want to make sure that my voice is heard. Now I don't think that mail and ballot ballots um, are not a good way to vote. I think that you should vote any way that you can, um, whether that be mail in or in person. Regardless, however you can do it, I just suggest that you do it regardless. Is out of curiosity, is anyone on the panel going to be voting through mail? I already voted through mail. <laughs> Explain to us your pro like what made you decide to, to to vote by mail? Um, honestly, I think I'm a little overly paranoid with COVID, and I do my best to not be in large groups, even though this is for the sake of our country. But um. Honestly, like the fraud rate for mail-in voting when I looked at it was low and I know you can't still trust everything that you read and you hear, but also the fact that it was just accessible to me and I know it's not accessible to everyone else, but also um, if I were at home, my parents and I have a grandmother who <laughs> lives with us and if I were to go in person, I wouldn't feel as safe as like going back home because I'm just exposing myself but also um Tennessee has like a barcode thing where we can track our ballot and I don't know if other states have that as well so I think I just took that into consideration also being in college and not being a registered voter in Alabama um I just decided to register to vote in Tennessee that's a good point because a friend of mine reached out to me um, and she wanted to register to vote. This is her first time. Um, and what I was able to do was help her. It was really easy. It was a matter of minutes, actually. And there was also, she's from North Carolina as well, uh, a, a site that allows you to track your ballot. You know, someone shared it on, on my timeline on Facebook and I, you know, checked into that and it was legit. You know, you could actually check to see where your ballot is going. And I thought that was pretty cool because, you know, in an age where it seems like there's so much that's heavily dependent upon the mail uh, process, the, the, the um, post office, um, it seems like that's something that should be in place because it makes so much sense to have it. And I remember, you know, Jordan, you made me think back when I was in USM uh, during the 2016 election and I was helping with, and I know how crazy those lines can get, you know, at the Oakwood University ch Church. And I was thinking, you know, why don't we have a separate line for students, you know? Students who have to go to class, they, they don't have time to wait, like someone who may be a senior citizen, you know, who may have a lot of time on their hands, someone who's retired or someone who took off from work. You know, they, they might have a test exact, you know, because I know October is around midterm time. Um, 
and I think early November as well. So, Nick, I'm curious to get your thoughts into how you think, you know, the better way of voting is this year um, and, you know, how is how you're making your assessment as to which course of action you'll pursue in in exercising your right to vote. Well, I am voting through mail because I am very scared of coronavirus because my apartment already uh, my, my roommate had it. So we all had to quarantine and. I just don't want to go through that again because it was a really bad two weeks and it's just more accessible to me because like I'm not a registered voter in Pennsylvania, but um, I could just like, you know, mail it in. And that's just, that's just easier for me to do. Last question of the night. Well, let me say the last topic of the night. I want to, you know, get your thoughts on what local issues are important to you. You know, there's so much focus, it seems, on the national level a lot when it comes down to presidential years. But what we don't see is a lot of enthusiasm on the, the local level, um, nationally. Um, what local issues are the most important for you? Um, and are there any particular local candidates? And I, I want to extend it a little bit to statewide candidates, too. Um, you know, whether that person's running for state senate or senator of the United States representing the state or Congress or, or for Congress. Um, are there any candidates that have that you've gravitated towards, you know, these coming over the past few months and what issues are most important to you on the ground level and local level? Joey. Well, I'm not uh, I, I don't know that I'm not very knowledgeable on the subject of politics. So my knowledge of politics stops at presidential. And I think that's what the common knowledge of politics is because politics actually matters a very good amount on the small end as well as more than just who is president because if you have a sitting president and everyone underneath him is of the opposite party they counteract each other and it's hard to do things when you're trying to go this direction and everyone underneath you is trying to go that direction so I don't, I, I'm, I'm not really aware that much, especially since I just recently moved politics, but the party that I'll be voting for is the Democratic Party. So whoever is on the local scale going in the same direction as Joe Biden is who I'm going to be voting for as well. Even though I don't even know who that individual is, I just need someone to back up Joe Biden and go in the same direction as him because I don't need... Joe Biden going this way and United States go then that's a, that, it mm-hmm. counteracts each other. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Really good point because you know when we're talking about local elections and statewide elections, these things have serious consequences. Where we've seen firsthand um, in recent years, in recent weeks, actually the consequences that you know the makeup of a of a Senate or House of Representatives can have. Um, so I want to extend the question a little bit. Will you guys be d- voting down ballot? You know, if you're voting for the Democrat or the Republican, will you be voting that same way down ballot? Um, and I want to, you know, tag that along with the question I asked initially in terms of what issues are most important to you, Jordan? Yeah, so for me, this is um, this is not my first year voting, but this is my first year voting in a, a presidential um election 
But, uh, you know, recently moving to Huntsville, you know, one of the things that I've been paying attention to is city council. And um, I think last Tuesday we voted in a runoff for uh, District 5 City Council, which is the district that Oakwood University sits in. And they were both, um, quote unquote, you know, uh, nonpartisan candidates. So it was more interesting because I actually had to do my research and kind of review what platforms that they were running on. Um, and I ended up voting for uh, not the incumbent, but the the person who actually won against him, uh, John Meredith, who uh, he was running on police reform. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that, you know, you see in the in the black community right now is, you know, you know, how much money does the police department get um, and how the police department is run. So that's definitely one of the most important um, topics in terms on the local level. And, you know, in terms of voting down ballot, for the most part, you know, candidates align with, you know, the ideology. So if you if you are aligned with the Democratic side, you know, for the most part, you know, everybody's on the same page. But I do think it's important to know who everybody is on an individual basis and to kind of get an understanding of where they sit, because, you know, like I said, I always I don't vote, you know, for my party. I vote for my interest. And sometimes my interest may align, you know, with the Republican Party or a, um, a third party candidate. Most times not. But, you know, I think it's important to know every candidate on a on an individual basis and know what they stand for. Mackenzie. You know, do you feel the same way? Um, do you usually vote uh, from the top down the same party and or not? And, and why not? If if that's the case. And, and what local issues, um, you know, are you more concerned with? I do usually vote down the ballot. Um, I, I vote Democrat usually. Um, so right now, what's 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 big is um a Democrat has not won a U.S. Senate seat in the state of Kansas since 1932. So my state, Kansas, is as red as those ruby slippers Dorothy had on in The Wizard of Oz. Um, her competitor, Roger, Roger Marshall, um, well, uh, Barbara Boyer, she is the Democrat running for Senate. Her competitor, Roger Marshall, it's he's a fave among Kansas, among, among the Republicans here. So this is said to be a toss-up race, um, but what we're really trying to look for is Medicaid expansion, with re which the Republicans are not giving. Um, when states like next door, like Missouri and Oklahoma, have passed extended you know, Medicaid Think ballot through ballot initiatives. So I, I I do think those that's some some important things going on statewide, and I'm I'm really excited to see come November third who wins and who's gonna take over the Senate. Hopefully, you know the Democrats can pull through, not just here in Kansas, but in all those other states where there's a toss up race. And Kansas is a really really fun state to watch, I think, because this summer, I think there was a anybody but Kobach, <laughs> anybody but Chris Kobach Senate race. In the Republican primary for the Senate, um, very interesting. State. Oh, go ahead, share some thoughts. No, you're on mute. Any anybody but him. Kansas is strongly Republican. You know, they they back who they back. You know, so I'm really really hoping for a more progressive push. You know, our our, our we actually our governor um, Laura Kelly. She is the first openly gay. You know. Um, governor and female you know here in the state of kansas so we're making those strides but i'm just really hoping we can you know get push it a little push it push it push the limits a little more just a little more annie your thoughts and, and i'm sorry let me read you know the, the local election the local issues that are most important to you do you vote 
you know, straight down ballot, same party? Um, and if not, why not? And what kind of candidates, you know, have caught your attention um, in recent months? So I am not as well versed in Virginia's local problems as I have been, at, you know, at the national level. But um, one huge thing that's going on is gerrymandering in Virginia. And I know that's one thing that's on the ballot that's very important to end. So um, that's a local issue that is really important to me. As far as voting straight down the ballot, um, I I don't know. I it depends. Like I'm more of one of those people, like I would like to do my research on who I'm voting for rather than just voting for one specific ideology, because, you know, I agree with certain things from one side, don't agree with certain things from the other side. So I really like to have more of a well-versed approach to voting. Okay. Okay. So Sydney, do you feel the same way? Do you like to look at, you know, both sides, what they have to offer? on the local level, state level, national level, before you make your decision? Or do you, like Joey, say, look, if I vote for someone at the top who may not be in alignment with someone at the bottom, I'm not going to expect much results because they're not going to be on the same page going forward. How do you feel and, you know, which candidates have caught your, your attention in your state and what local issues are important to you? Okay. So I have actually tried to see the more importance of local elections just because those are actually happening in our backyard. So it's important that um, they be emphasized more everywhere. But in Tennessee, I kind of don't have a choice to like go down the ballot because it's very Republican. So um, I have my Democrats that I do vote for, but then we have our incumbent like Republicans that run for the same district. And so I kind of look up what they're doing, see what bills they're voting on. And if I'm okay with it, then I will vote for them. Like I voted in my local election um, by mail and it was just Republican and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and some of it was Democrat. So I tried my best to do Democrats and search for the independents, but um, it was very difficult. And um, currently in Nashville, I think one, uh, local issue that is important to me is investing in our community. I know during the, and still happening, our mayor actually decided to fund the police more. And there were just a bunch of stats how putting in however million dollars would take away from the resources in the community, or actually you could use those uh, dollars to be put into the community that would fund transportation, fund healthcare, fund community centers. And he voted to, on the police. So I was like, yikes, <laughs> I don't like that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, schools, I would just like to say in schools, I think we should uh, emphasize the importance of voting, especially voting local. Um, I didn't know anything about it and I know my peers don't know anything about it. So having to educate myself on it was definitely a disadvantage. And I think um, our school systems in general should do better to uh, teach students about the voting history and teach them on how to vote and just like teach them that your vote matters and that this is how you should do it and this is what you should be paying attention to. And Nick, I want to get your thoughts. Um, you know, how do you vote from, you know, the local level up to the national level? Is it usually on the same page um, or, 
will you be like Annie and say, well, you know, I'm going to look at what both sides have to offer uh, from the ground level all the way up to the federal level. Um, what local issues are most, most concerning for you um, and which candidates, if any, have really um, caught your attention in recent months? So um, probably I like I, I don't support really either party. So like I won't be voting down the ballot. I'll like I'll vote for whoever I think is the best candidate for the job. But um, like local issues, I know Virginia, where I'm from, had like a big gun march, I'm pretty sure. And I think that's going to be a big running point for whoever's running for Senate, which I think is Warner and Daniel Cade, something like that. But um, I know a lot of people around me like that live in my neighborhood don't like Warner. So I don't I don't really know how that's going to go. And I think my I think I'm District 10. Jennifer Wexton's my representative. Um, I, personally, I think she's done a good job, but um, I really don't know much about. Yeah, you know, you raised a really good point in terms of, you know, when it, there's an adage, politics, all politics is, is local. Uh, of course, people have said in recent years that has been challenged, but you know, I, I still think it still holds true. Um, you know, depending on your geographical location, your politics is going to be reflective of that. So I'm glad you brought out the gun issue because I know earlier this year they had a huge gun uh, gun rights rally uh, by the state uh, capitol. Now I know that there's a law in Virginia, which is interesting, that forbids that for that forbade them from bringing their firearms into the capitol building. But I think they came short of coming inside of the building, but they just protested on the outside, and there was fear for the governor's safety, uh, Ralph Northam. Um, and so, you know, gun safety, especially especially after the Major Stoneman Douglas shooting and the huge headwaves that has made in the March for Our Lives rally that took place in um, March of 20, 2018. And I was there for that march. It was an amazing environment. Um, it was a very electric uh, atmosphere, I think, that the media couldn't capture through cameras. Um, that's a huge issue, you know. And you mentioned Mark Warner. You know, Mark Warner, I believe he took a strong stance in, in, in favor of gun control. Um, but I want to thank each of you. As we're heading out, I want to ask this question. You know, if you have a friend who's thinking, you know, I'm not really on fire for Biden, Trump, I'm not voting for, definitely. Um, why should I waste my time? There's a pandemic. I can put myself at risk. I've got assignments. I've got schoolwork. I've got all these different priorities. If they've got extra extracurricular activities, that may be taking their priority. That, that may be taking their, you know, their thoughts a lot. What is your advice to them as to why? it's necessary to vote in this election, why it's worth their time and why they should do so um, before the deadlines. I'm gonna start off with um, Joey. Well, when we talking about election, it's more than a personal issue. When you're voting, you're voting for more than yourself. You're voting for an entire country. And this is something that's gonna be set up for the next four years. And everything that that president may do way after they're out of office is gonna have a lasting effect permanently. The same thing with Donald Trump being president now. Because of the fact that we never cleaned up our act with coronavirus, there's some people's family members that has died from corona and they're never going to see them again now because now they're gone, they're dead. And that's, uh, that's a big issue. And that's something that's gonna be with whoever's family that was 
long after Donald Trump is president. He's not going to be president forever, but the effects that a president has is long-lasting effects in many different people's lives that are permanent and they can't be reversed. And it's the same thing that's going to happen with Joe Biden. And these effects don't have to be negative. They could be positive. They could be positive effects that are long-lasting. So my vote is going to be going for Joe Biden. And based off of what, how Joe Biden has presented himself in public, how he presented himself during these debates, and how Joe Biden has been when he was already vice president for eight years, I know that Joe Biden's effect is going to be a positive one in contrast with the negative effect that Donald Trump has had over the whole United States for the past four years. And you, that's, the, that's the reason why um, people need to look past their personal their personal um, issues that's affecting them and getting in the way of them voting, and they need to just vote. And I think they need to take advantage of all the opportunities they have to, to vote and all the different ways they have to vote this election. You hit the nail on the head, I think. Uh, Mackenzie? The most, yeah, I certainly. Oh, you're muted, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. So my people would be, you know, what what would this world look like in four years if we decide to sit this one out? You know, what if I'm just like I don't I don't want to, or you know, I have some friends who are like I don't want to, I just want to sit this one out. What what are, what what is going to come from this? You know, the same people will be in those same positions, making those same decisions, and we will continue to suffer. You know, it is our duty to elect people that we feel, you know, is going to bring some some type of change forth. You know, any change, any progress something better than what we have been doing. So we can't afford to sit this one out. Thank you, Mackenzie. Thank you. Um, Annie? Um, so for someone who doesn't want to vote, I would like, you know, tell them that you're voting for something bigger than yourself. You're voting for your future. You're voting for the issues that affect you. I'm voting for my health care. I'm voting for the future of my education. Um, I'm voting for things that are going to, you know, be in place well after the next president or the next president after that. And you just have to think, like, what do you want your life to be like? How do you want things to go for you and your family? And vote for your future, essentially. So that's why I would tell people, definitely vote, you know, no matter what, whoever's watching, go out and vote. It's very important. Thank you, Annie. Jordan. Yeah, my, my public policy professor told me one day, he said, um, I asked him why, you know, why vote if, you know, I felt like both candidates wouldn't do anything for me. And he said, when you don't vote, you're giving, you know, you're giving your elected officials the green light to ignore you and to ignore everything that you stand for. And I think that's important because, you know, votes are political currency and, you know, elected officials, they live for votes. So, you know, when you vote, you know, you're bringing something to the table and, you know, you can hold somebody accountable. But if you don't vote, then, you know, no matter if you don't vote, you're you're practically, you know, unimportant to an elected official whose whole job is to get people to vote for them. I think you have a really smart public policy professor, I have to add. <laughs> <laughs> professor Preston Foster. Sydney. 
Um, honestly, I would say um, that your vote matters and that your voice matters, honestly, because I always like to say that if your vote didn't matter, then I don't think voter suppression would exist because they wouldn't try and suppress your voice so much in the ways that they do. And then not to like guilt trip anyone, but voting is a privilege. There are so many people out there that cannot vote. And so you voting is essentially like you could think of it as voting for them and voting for people that are probably going to represent you that are hopefully going to, you know, combat voter suppression in the long run. And then also it's just like you just get a say, You're like your voice gets to be heard. And I think that's a beautiful thing that um, we are allowed to have these choices and we're allowed to pick who we want to represent us properly. So you vote presidential and you vote, um, most importantly, a local because that's where your voice will be heard the most. But just vote and be motivated. And last but not least, Nick. Oh, I mean, I think you should just you should just vote because it's like I was told it was a, your, your civic duty. You should just vote for also just like what you believe in, I guess, and whichever candidate that is. And um, like, well, if you don't vote, then. In my opinion, you don't have any room to complain when the candidate that wins does something you don't like. It's like you, well, you didn't really voice your opinion when you had the chance. And I also know I have a lot of friends here from like Texas and Oklahoma. I don't know why, but um, they're, they're just not voting for this the because um, I guess they lean more Democrat and they just don't see a point because those are, I guess, notorious red states. But um, I still think you should just vote either way just to get your voice heard. Thank you all, each of you, for you know the, the valuable insight you shared tonight. I think a lot of knowledge was dropped tonight in this Political Mike podcast episode. So I thank you each for your contributions. I want to just go ahead and put a plug in. You know, We've talked about a lot tonight. We talked about student loan forgiveness. We talked about gun control. We talked about voting rights. We talked about health care, education. Um, another issue that's important, environmental justice. You know, environments, I mean, communities that are strategically placed in places uh, that have more of an environmental hazard, whether it be exposure to pollutants more than affluent white neighborhoods. Um, immigration reform, another hot topic, reproductive rights. Sydney, you brought that up. But you know how each of these uh, policies and each of these uh, you know, issues are addressed according to the way we want them to address? We do it by voting. Jordan, you raised the issue, you, you raised the point. Politing, uh, voting is our only political currency. You know, that's the only thing that that folks can recognize. That's the one thing that puts everyone in this country in an equal playing field, supposedly. I'm not gonna get into Citizens United, but that's the one thing that we can do to ensure that we've done all we can to ensure that the country is going the direction we want it to go. You know, and before you say we should have more community policing, we should election day should be a holiday, you know, uh people should not have to have their loved ones separated at the border. You know, a woman should have the right to choose what she does with her own body. Uh, people should be able to be treated as human no matter what, you know, your race or whatever, whatever the case may be. You know, we get laws that enact those kinds of ideas by voting. So I want to thank each of you for what you brought to the table. I want to encourage those who are viewing to tune in on Tuesday. This is going to be a special episode. I'm going to have with me a guest, a special guest, Professor Alan Lickman, who has predicted the outcome of every presidential election going back to 1984. He has 13 keys to the White House. He's written a book. He's an, it's been a New York Times bestseller. Um, he is going to share some insight as to what his prediction is for this election. So stay tuned. It's going to be at 11 a.m. October 20th, Tuesday. With that being said, I want to thank each of you again for joining 
this 14th edition of the Political Mic. Uh, I want to go ahead and sign off and have a good evening, everyone.